Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Guardian. In 2006, a young drummer was recording an album in the basement of his parents' house, whilst playing with some of the jazz circuit's greatest musicians. After a decade that saw him tour six continents and appear on 30 recordings, including David Bowie's Black Star, Mark Giuliano reflects on his first album as a leader. Locked in a basement is the fir- first. Locked in a basement is the first. By, by here and only album by here, which was my first band and my first and only album. presentation as a leader by by, by here. Features Neil Persiani and Zach Caldwell, both of which contributed one song to the record. I think there are one or two co-written songs as well. But it's really the first time that my compositions were documented. The name Hirnt is uh, just a sound, actually. There's no meaning, and it's a word that my brother and his friends used to use as filler. There's no meaning, it's just a kind of a, it's a sound, and I thought because the music didn't have a clear identity or a, a, a very easy thing to point to, I thought the, the more ambiguous the name could be, uh, the better. That way it didn't uh, direct your attention to any specific place. You know, I started playing music in 1995. I was 15, and I was just listening to the radio and what was on MTV, and it was all bands, you know? So when I first started playing drums, I was just trying to play along with Soundgarden Records or Nirvana, Red Hot Chili Peppers, things like that. So I, that's what feels right to me. So maybe, okay, you look at a picture of Soundgarden, and you might identify Chris Cornell as the quote-unquote frontman, but it's a band, and there are these... There's a brotherhood and a nice collective message. Although it was the majority was my own compositions and I was doing the behind-the-scenes work, it was important to me to present here as a band. Locked in a Basement is both a broad idea and pretty specific in regards to this record. 
I had just finished college and I moved back in with my parents and uh, I grew up in the suburbs in New Jersey and we had this big basement and I actually built a wall and kind of closed my area off and had all my instruments and it really became my safe place and and really even when I was in high school the basement was always the place I could go to be me you know my parents were always very supportive but not musicians so they didn't really know the details of the life or practicing and this and that so when I was in high school I'd go downstairs and to them I'm just making noise you know but I was transcribing Roy Haynes solos you know (laughs) and it was my own little secret almost and um, similarly making this record a lot of the post-production happened in that basement and the guys would come over and just stay at the house for days at a time and we would just work and really have fun and if I remember correctly the original I presented the title to the guys I said I think I want to call the album Locked in My Basement and Neil said no 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 it should be locked in a basement because it makes it a little broader and almost a little creepier too you know time to see the man So at the time, I was playing with bassist Avishai Cohen quite a lot. I had recorded on three of his albums, and we were touring a lot. You know, I just graduated from university studying jazz, and now here I am with a jazz gig, and I'm touring, and on paper, everything's going great, and I'm quote-unquote successful. Here, for me was separate from all of that where I could say okay I have this other thing happening where there's an income and there's a consistency and now the whole point of this project is to just have uninhibited creative outlet. I wasn't concerned if anyone was going to hear the record. I wasn't concerned if anyone was going to like it. We really just tried to follow our own instincts. Make a record that we wanted to hear. Take some chances. Exploit our youth and innocence. Pack every idea into this hour of music. At the times that I got a little self-conscious of maybe it was a little too diverse or wouldn't fit together, we always came back to the idea, well... The common thread is that it's us. That's the message, that this is who we are. Now, I don't do it so well because I'm out of practice, but that's the general idea. In the trio, there are times where we blissfully enjoy the sound of a trio and, and sparse in a good way. But also, for the sake of the recording, we also did take advantage of being able to add each individually and collectively as many different sounds and instruments to the table as possible. And I'm remembering that I actually played a little trombone on the album, and I cannot play trombone at all.
I guess I could say this on the record. I, I took a trombone from my high school. <laughs> I think they were going to throw it away. It was a very old one, and it had been in the rain in the marching band. And I just had it in my basement, and we thought it would be fun to get it on the record. That speaks to kind of the constitution of the album in itself. I don't know if it was... Looking back, it's very clear. But in the moment, we didn't know any better. And we were just going in the moment. Then really having fun, you know? And it led to some really interesting musical ideas. There are some days where I, you know, when I hear the record, I hear the youth, but in a great way, in a way that I can't access now anymore. I wish I had access to that ignorance, but I'm 10 years older and I've had all these experiences and it would be very difficult to find that freedom again. And I'm glad that we captured that, uh, that mentality. You know, it's almost like we were making the record assuming no one would hear it. And that gave us the confidence to take chances. And, you know, there's definitely some levity on the record. And that's important to us, too, to balance the heavier musical statements or if there is some sophistication in the compositions, maybe the sonic side of it would have some levity. Or, for example, the title track, Locked in a Basement, features a typewriter. And actually, I wish I could claim that the typewriter came first, but uh, that was the final addition to the composition. So we were in the studio, and just for fun, I brought a manual typewriter into the studio and put it in the corner of the control room and let everyone know if they wanted to retreat to the corner to document some ideas, please do so on the typewriter. Kind of a, you know, a silly silly little thing but what happened was I think we were listening back to the take of Locked in a Basement and I was standing near the typewriter and since it's such a rhythmic piece I just started to type in that rhythm in that rhythm and immediately everyone in the room looked at each other and was like okay well we need to record the typewriter and then it felt like a good idea to let that be the first statement of the rhythmic melody and uh, let the band kind of join later. The rhythmic information on the song, Locked in Basement, that groove, you know, just the, the bass drum, what the typewriter is playing, what the bass drum is playing, and Neil is also playing it on bass, and Zach does play it on the keyboard as well. Alone, it doesn't have much meaning to me. The value only comes in contrast with the very simple beat, almost a disco beat, upbeats on the hi-hat with the snare drum on two and four. And that beat to me really is a pretty good snapshot of my brain. That rhythmic line represents that, but also just the backbeat is 
as important, if not more, to me as a musician and my identity. I was coming from that. The top part of the beat is what drew me to music, and the, the rhythmic information is what I discovered on my more academic pursuit. But I'm always, it's a constant search to try to marry those two and, and try to make it work. I think one can't truly exist in a, in a funky way without the other. Yeah, it's a compositional tool that I've since employed. And the intention was to try to write a rhythmic phrase that's just long enough where the ear might not naturally hear it come back around. So it almost sounds random. So for example, if I played that beat alone on the drums, it might sound like I'm improvising or it might sound random. But once Neil joins me with the bass and that rhythm is doubled, there's no way we could be so lucky where we're improvising exactly the same thing at the same time. The electronic elements were coming from a love for electronic music that I have that often includes lots of ambient sounds, ambient textures. I think of it kind of as the icing on top of a piece, kind of connective tissue, some of which was uh, vocal samples. I'm trying to bring danger back into rock and roll. Danger back into rock and roll. There's one bringing danger back to rock and roll. That was um, this artist named Gigi Allen was kind of a hero of the extreme punk scene in, in New York in the 80s, I guess. And he was on the Geraldo show, and, and that was a quote from, from that. And, you know, just kind of always liked that line, I'm trying to bring danger back into rock and roll, and then just drop it in, and it really becomes kind of a pivotal moment in the song. And then when we would play this music live, I would always have a sampler next to me, and I'd be triggering these samples because to me their their value in the composition was as important as the melody or the fundamental elements and a couple shows I brought the typewriter and and played that too but um it was a little heavy to carry around the record we were in the studio for a few days i don't remember how long but we moved pretty fast and all of the takes were performances as a trio but there were also lots of things that we couldn't perform in real time so that led to lots of overdubs some of which were done if we had time in the studio and the rest of which were done at home I had a really minimal music software program and on my laptop and kind of budget microphones and I'd be embarrassed to tell you how much money I spent making this recording it's very very small everything was done in a very DIY fashion. And again, I think all of all of these limitations, whether it's technology or money or gear, led us down a very specific musical path that I'm actually really uh, grateful for. When I look back at the record and when I listen to the record now, we're about over 10 years removed. The record came out in 2006, so and we recorded it in 2005. So I was 24, and emotionally I hear 
a 24-year-old, you know, and I didn't have a care in the world. I just finished school. Life was great, and life is still great. I'm not, <laughs> but life was great, and um, it was like, oh, I get to play the music that I conceived with my great friends. And it was very, very simple. I hear a very simple-minded approach. And I hear things on the record that I can't do now. And that's both um, amazing and a little scary, you know? <laughs> there are things I can do now that I couldn't do then. And just to go even further, when I think of my 16-year-old self, I was playing in a way that I don't have access to now and there are certain things about that way of playing that I wish I had access to. When I was playing with my friends in high school playing Green Day covers, you know, <laughs> I was playing with an energy and with a free spirit that is difficult to uh, tap into now just based on um, the responsibilities of being an adult in 2017. You know, I have a child myself now, so to take care of a child is quite a different responsibility than to just be a child. <laughs> and I, I felt like a child in the best way, even, you know, in 2005, making this record. That record, to me, when I hear it, I hear the sound of innocence. from The Guardian. Just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts.